Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. consider our parable this morning from the gospel as perhaps Jesus' most difficult parable. Uh, The master in this story commends an unjust steward. Whatever could he mean? It sounds like he's advocating immoral behavior. But the admonition that Jesus gives at the end of the parable is also equally confusing when he tells the disciples to make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. So we know the parable. We just heard it read, but just a quick synopsis once again. We have this wealthy estate owner, and he learns that his property manager had been wasting his goods. The steward figures out that he's about to be sacked, and he is one of those frail types who realizes he's never going to make it in this life digging ditches. So he comes up with this shrewd plan which will ensure that he'll be taken care of after he is uh, cast out and fired. So he calls all the people who are in debt to his master and he has them change the amount that they owe on their bill. And uh, then when the master finds out about this, he surprisingly commends the unjust manager for his shrewdness. Then in the story, as Jesus is telling the parable, he breaks off as the narrator and he offers some commentary from his own voice. And he says, and this gives us the key to the meaning of the parable, he says to the disciples, quote, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And then again at the very end of the parable, he summarizes with this admonition, which is his customary ironic twist when he tells parables. He says to the disciples, quote, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Now the first thing we want to note is that Jesus is not commending the shrewd manager for his dishonesty. He is commending the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. That's the first thing. Now, Jesus could have told a parable in which he had an honest, shrewd manager. But that wouldn't have served the second and important point that he was making in his parable. The reason Jesus presents a steward who is dishonest is because he's trying to contrast the worldly man who is shrewd and industrious in his pursuit of sordid wealth. He's trying to contrast this person to the moral man, the good man, who knows what is good, desires what is good, but lacks zeal in obtaining those good and eternal things. So let's think for a moment of the great industrialists of our age, or previous age, I should say, or maybe the tech oligarchs of our day. 
These men, we know their stories well, they work non-stop. They are industrious. They are working and working and working, scheming and conniving how they might obtain more and more and more, more wealth, more influence, more power. And once the greedy, materialist, megalomaniac lays hold of everything that can be laid hold of, at the end of the day, what does he have? Nothing, right? Nothing. We know that from the gospel. It's all going to turn to dust. Well, actually, he does have something. He has a rap sheet against him for all the oppression that he will have to answer for. That's what he's got left after all his gaining. And there's the irony that Jesus presents in the Gospels. They've achieved and obtained so much, but it will do them no good in the end. Not only that, but what they have achieved will actually stand as a witness against them in the judgment. In contrast, we have the good man, the believer, who knows and understands that the true desire of every human heart is not worldly wealth, but the glory of God. And the believer presumably you and I, knows how to obtain it. It's not as if we don't know what we want or that we don't know how to get it. We know what we want and we know how to get it. All of us. I mean, we've been told enough times. It's been made patently clear. And here's the admonishment in the parable. Even though we know the truth, We do not do what we need to do to obtain the prize that we actually desire. The tragedy is that the sons of unrighteous mammon show more zeal for something that perishes than the sons of light do to obtain an eternal reward. I mean, these guys over here that are working so hard to grasp at something to satisfy them, they don't even know what they are doing, really. They don't understand. They're not illumined. They're in the dark. They're grasping, and they don't know what they are doing. But we know what we are doing. In fact, we know what we are not doing, and we still don't do it. (laughs) That's the point of the parable. Basically, Jesus is telling us to stop being lazy simpletons. (laughs) I asked somebody the other day, I said, have you ever been tempted while you were eating dinner to stab yourself in the eye with your fork? And I said, no, I haven't either. And yet, when we go on behaving in ways that we know that are not going to produce what our heart really desires, and we know what to do to really give what our heart desires, it's sort of like doing something stupid, like stabbing yourself in the eye with a fork. I just give you that little image so that you can keep that in mind when you're doing something dumb, or not doing something which is dumb. It's not enough for us to profess the right thing and then just rest on Christ's laurels. We need to be clever. We need to be industrious. Work while it is day in pursuit of eternal salvation. And Jesus tells us just how to do that in the punchline of his parable. Make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. So let's unpack that a bit. To get what he is saying, to get at what he is trying to tell us, we have to recognize, first of all, that we have a very complicated and tenuous relationship with wealth in this fallen world and with material goods. 
Mammon, he speaks of Mammon. Mammon was the Syrian demon god who patronized wealth. We might surmise that Mammon had a twin demon brother who's been appointed to oversee America. Maybe, for sure. (laughs) At any rate, remember that Jesus warned, it's almost impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. St. Paul also said that the love of money is the root of all evil. So Jesus' attention here, when he references unrighteous mammon, he's drawing our attention to the inescapable lure of greed, which is a trap. It is a trap which leads us all to the sinful passions. But here's the comedic twist that he offers in the parable. If you have your wits about you, you can use the very thing that is most likely to destroy your life to save your life. That's the twist. It is, in fact, the ubiquitous evil of greed which makes mammon the perfect tool in obtaining salvation. This is a very profound principle that runs through the whole gospel. It is manifest most perfectly in the cross of our Lord. Beat the devil at his own game. That's the principle. God killed death by dying. God killed death by dying. This principle is at work in every part of your life. Absolutely every aspect of your life. You have to learn how to turn things, flip them on their head. The very one who is life entered death and thereby destroyed it. Jesus tells us the way to save your life is to lose it. The way up is down. The way to glory is through suffering and humility. And in this parable, Jesus teaches us that the way to overcome the slavery to the demon of greed is by the shrewd use of possessions, of wealth. The steward shrewdly used mammon to obtain his future security once he was going to be cast out of his master's house. He made friends by reducing the debt of these people so that when he was thrown out, he could go to them and they would give him a place to stay in return for the good deed he did for them. Jesus is saying that we should use mammon to make friends so that when we leave this world, we will have an eternal home. We will be welcomed into a joyful and comfortable place, a habitation. He's teaching us very practically through the right relationship with things, we can achieve a right relationship with God and other people. The power of greed is broken And mammon becomes an instrument for salvation when we use it for good works. That's the point of the punchline. Make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. When you fail means when you die. When you die, there's going to be a judgment which will determine whether you're welcomed into that everlasting home of comfort and joy or cast into outer darkness. And your judges, according to this parable, are these friends that you have hopefully made through your virtuous deeds in this life. Asterius, the fourth century theologian, puts it like this. Quote, when therefore anyone anticipating his end and his removal to the next world lightens the burden of his sins by good deeds, 
either by canceling the obligations of debtors or by supplying the poor with abundance, by giving what belongs to the Lord, he gains many friends who will attest his goodness before the judge and secure him by their testimony a place of happiness. This parable basically advocates for moral mercenary. (laughs) Jesus is admonishing the sons of light for not being more industrious in their pursuit of heavenly glory. We are to amass heavenly treasure by generosity, which is spiritual shrewdness. You know, to be shrewd, what does that mean? To be shrewd is to be astute in practical matters. And we need to think of eternal salvation and heavenly reward as a practical matter in this life. What you do and what you don't do in this life matters in the next. And your relationship to things is important to your relationship to God and his body. When we appear before the judgment, and we shall, there will be a host of friends standing nearby who will speak up and bear witness to your love and good deeds. You know, it's not only Christ who will judge in the judgment. This is not a novel idea. This comes up in the gospel numerous times, not only in this parable. Jesus says to the Jews over that Beelzebub incident, he says, your children will stand up and judge you in the judgment. He also says that the men of Nineveh, the ones who repented, are going to stand up and judge this generation in the judgment. He also says the apostles will be judges in the judgment. It's not just Christ who is the ultimate judge in the judgment, but there's going to be a whole host of people who are going to be involved at the judgment, which this parable makes clear, and as Christ makes clear in numerous other places. So he's admonishing us to make friends, win them over, so they can give a good testimony. Make friends with them by the use of unrighteous mammon. Through our generosity, through our good deeds, and especially our generosity with our material possessions, but also our time and our attention. And if we do that, then the Lord will have good reason to say to us, yes, I know you, and you have all these friends bearing good witness of you, vouching for you. You know, that's what the sponsor does, by the way, for someone who's coming into the church to become a Christian, they're vouching for the person. We want, to, we want to amass a great host of friends who will vouch for us and say, Lord, he's a good guy. Let him, he's a good guy. He's honest and true and faithful, kind and loving. He's lived that kind of a life. And then the Lord will say, I know you. I know you enter into the joy of your master. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.